0: Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. And now, friends, an introduction to the reading from the Bible today. The Gospel of John is the fourth section of what is sometimes identified as the fourfold gospel, with four voices giving different perspectives on the life of Jesus of Nazareth. The Gospel of John is probably the last of the four written. Listen for John's literary style and theology, how the writer often begins sentences with the preposition in. The Gospel portrays a Jesus whose origins lie uniquely in the very being of God. The term word, legos in Greek, is in the prologue, harkens back to Genesis 1, the creation story, and Greek philosophy, allowing the text to speak to both Jews and Gentiles of the time, giving order and meaning to all that is. With that framework, Jews and Greeks could agree that the very existence of the one who created order, depends on the Logos, without whom not even one thing has come into being. The emphasis that every human being carries a spark of God's life light is a claim with important consequences, both for ethics and our interfaith dialogue. It is significant in a contrast to the time that the Gospel writer stresses that God chose to live a human life in a human body and that flesh itself becomes part of Revelation. Hear now the text, chapter 1, in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. And so the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen God's glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Amen. A shipwreck out in the sea. Storm clouds rain pounding, left alone in the deep. The winds were blowing right
1: through me, no help to be found. lost my sense of direction, what has taken me down. Just after Lori and I moved to Denver in 2014, we experienced our first major winter storm, which having come from San Diego felt a little like the snowpocalypse. And so I decided we needed an all-wheel drive vehicle, and I went car shopping. I stopped by a local dealership and flagged someone down to help me. His name was Chad, as I recall, and weirdly he was eating a bag of popcorn. And immediately, that was one sign that maybe Chad wasn't all that great at his particular profession. (laughs) And I was checking out a car that had caught my eye, and and I asked Chad, what's the horsepower on this thing? And he said, "I, I think it's 185. But then he said in a whisper, but the dealership across the street has a similar model, 225 horsepower. In my opinion, it's a much better value. And I thought, that's weird, Chad, but okay. (laughs) I said, what's the warranty on this car? And he said, I think it's three years, 30,000. But the car over there, five years, 50, and you just can't find that. And I started wondering if Chad wanted to sell me a car. And I said, any special financing deals over here? And he said, not that I'm aware of, but but over there you can get 1.9 for five years. And I'm like, really confused. I said, Chad, is there any reason I should buy a car from you today? And he said, no. I said, Chad, do you work here? He said, no. He said, I work across the street at that dealership. He said, I just came over here to get the popcorn and you flagged me down. Can you think of any reasons, any good reasons for buying this brand of faith we call Christianity? There's a growing number of people today who cannot. In fact, many of them have found really good reasons for rejecting or leaving Christianity altogether. Some startling figures. In 2011, 78% of U.S. adults identified as Christian. Today, only 63% identify as Christian. The math there is minus 15 points over the last 10 years. By the year 2050, it is projected that less than 50% of U.S. adults will identify as Christian. This decades-long decline is driven primarily by young adults, and I say this without any judgment whatsoever, Today, only 68% of U.S. adults report belief in God. Only 31% of those believe in the God of the Bible. 24% believe in, quote, a higher power. What is the fastest growing religious group in the U.S. today? It's called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The nuns identify as atheists, agnostics, and having no religious affiliation at all and they account for 30% of all U.S. adults today. And my point in sharing this is that we are witnessing the unfolding of a post-Christian America in real time, right before our very eyes. And so our question for the next six weeks is a relevant one. Why Christian? And by no means am I trying to talk you into shopping elsewhere like my friend Chad, But I do want to name an uncomfortable truth this morning that there are forms and expressions of Christianity that make it increasingly difficult for a growing number of people to become or remain Christian today. And I also want to offer some very hopeful reasons for why I still believe the way of Jesus is and can be for you life-giving, if only together we are courageous and curious and open enough to follow God's leading in this world today. But first, let me lift up some reasons that tend to make it difficult for some Christians to remain Christian. I want to name three that, as a pastor, I hear over and over again from people. There are more reasons, I am sure. None of this is scientific, but, but these are the reasons over the last 30 years as a pastor that I've heard from people. And the first has to do with the fact that Christianity has a pretty troubling Historical track record, especially over the last thousand years or so. Christianity, you could say, has a, a bit of a rap sheet. Um, it's rather long, actually. Historically, Christians have done a lot of harm in the name of God. The Crusades, the Inquisition, 400 years of transatlantic trade slaves, uh, slave trades, The tragic consequences of the doctrine of manifest destiny on America's indigenous peoples. The witch trials, and of course, the Holocaust perpetuated, endorsed, sponsored by the church, carried out by German Christians. The list is quite long, and the history of Christianity is really a story about this endless game of tug-and-war between the tender, humble love of Jesus and the coercive, self-serving power of institution. And too often, power has won. And too often, the innocent have been harmed. And many people today remember Christianity's past, and they see how those same past abuses continue to play out in today's forms of Christianity in the form of the widespread abuse of children in the Catholic and, more recently, the Southern Baptist churches, in the regressive dogmas concerning the roles of women, in the rejection and condemnation of LGBTQ people, in the silence in the face of Christian nationalism. There are more, but you you take it all together, the, the history and then current events, and you begin to see... It can be very hard for some people to believe. Another reason people struggle with Christianity is that it often seems rather out of touch with the real world. People tend to perceive Christianity as archaic, and anti-science, and superstitious, hypocritical, legalistic, literalistic, and dogmatic, and super, super obsessed with anything and everything related to human sexuality. Modern, modern people today simply aren't interested in becoming more religious. What they're looking for is a relationship with something much bigger than themselves. It's like that old joke that says religion is a guy in church thinking about fishing and relationship is a guy out fishing, thinking about God. When Christianity tries to sell religion, more and more people just choose to go fishing. One last theme that I hear a lot from people who struggle with Christianity is that Christians are experts at gaslighting. You know what gaslighting is? It's this form of psychological manipulation that makes people question their sanity or question their perspective on what they're really experiencing in the world. It's like someone who says, look, I'm really sorry if you think I hurt you, but... As a pastor of an open and inclusive church, I... I get gaslighted a lot by people in our broader community. I get emails from people who say, haven't you read your Bible? And I always respond by saying, the the what? (laughs) They'll say, don't you know the word of God or do you know the eternal consequences of leading your people astray? That's Christian gaslighting. Have you ever been gaslighted Christian style? It's the worst. People will say, God isn't blessing you because you're just not praying enough. Or they'll say, if you doubt or question your faith, you're just letting the devil in. Or they'll say, how can you not believe this and believe that and still call yourself Christian? Or the worst, I hear, they'll say it. If you were a godly woman, you would have kept your marriage together. This is not the love of Jesus. This is spiritual violence. It's manipulation masquerading as Christianity, and it leads to a lot of deep trauma. It wounds, it shames, and it drives people away from Christianity. I'm sure you can name a lot of other reasons why people struggle with Christianity, but for all the reasons people walk away from it, I still think there are reasons for following this way of Jesus—compelling ones. And part of the answer of part of answering the question "Why Christian?" it requires us to to ask a bigger question, and that is why Christianity, in the first place, why not some other religion or spiritual tradition? Why not just go take a walk in the park or walk on the beach or hike a 14er or go bang a drum in the desert and call that faith? And I will say, compared to a lot of forms of Christianity, those are viable opportunities and options. But at the heart of Christianity is this radical proposition that you won't find in any other world religion or spiritual tradition. This radical proposition is that the very essence of God has found actual, real form in this earthly material world. In Christ, divine spirit has fused with real physical matter. And the word for this radical idea is, is incarnation. It means something like enfleshment or embodiment. Incarnation is Christianity's most hopeful and compelling reason and claim. It says that through Christ, the seeming distance between God and everything you see in this material world has been overcome. That is to say, spirit and matter, soul and flesh, have come together and are now inseparable. The divine spirit has merged with physical matter, things like earth and cells and flesh and human bodies like yours. We find this claim in the opening verses of the Gospel of John, which you heard read today, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word uh, was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. Without Him, not one thing, it says, came into being. And you're probably thinking, this sounds super esoteric and terribly enigmatic and lyrical and metaphorical. In the beginning was the word. And not just the word but the word with a capital W. What does this mean? In the Greek the word is logos. Logos Logos defies definition really. You can't really explain it. But it means something like reason, plan, intention, principle, or ideal, all with capital letters. Logos refers to God's big picture, God's ultimate purpose for the world. Some of you read Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest. He defines Logos as blueprint with a capital B. Have you ever looked at a blueprint? It's like a grand design for what you're building. It's a a detailed plan of action. And Rohr says substitute blueprint for logos in this passage. And it sounds something like this. In the beginning was the blueprint. And the blueprint was with God. And the blueprint was God. And all things came into being through the blueprint. This grand design. I think blueprint works. I prefer ideal. This divine ideal. But call it what you will. A blueprint, an ideal, a plan of action. John says... It existed before anything that ever you see ever was. In the beginning, before the universe came into being, John says it was with God and it was God. And through the blueprint or the ideal, everything you see in this world came into being. This divine ideal fused with the raw pre-existent material of the pre-universe and at the moment of creation, it took on real physical earthly form. The ideal came to life and through it, all of life came into being. All of life, amoebas and jellyfish and caddisfly blue-tailed skinks cutthroat trout golden eagles, grizzly bears, and you, human, you. All of this came into being. It became the divine embodiment, incarnation of the divine ideal. We now know today that this coming into being that John speaks of, uh, it actually happened over billions of years. And please let let me just say this is not at all antithetical to Christianity. We are the imperfect embodiment of that divine ideal. We are an unfinished product of the blueprint. We're not all built out yet. And when when God created the universe, God deemed it good in the book of Genesis, but in that ancient creation poem, God doesn't lean back and say, ah, it's perfect. All creation embodies the divine ideal, but nothing is perfect. We are not the perfect embodiment of God. We are still becoming, and everything in creation is still becoming, everything out there, even the universe itself. Did you know this? Did you know that even the universe is still becoming? The universe isn't finished. Right now, it is actually expanding at a rate from our earthly vantage point of 163 miles an hour, expanding, nothing is finished. Look at yourself and look around you and look at the world. And we could say, if this really is it, if we're built out, if, if we're all done becoming, if there is nothing left still to come into being, then there's nothing left to hope for. And there's nothing to live for and there is nothing to work for in this earthly life. But if we instead, if we look at ourselves and our world and we, we see it as unfinished We have a reason to get out of bed every day, to work for what is important to God, to work for this coming into being. We have a purpose. We're still far from the ideal for which we were created. The war in Ukraine is very far from the divine ideal. The immigration crisis right now at our southern borders is far from God's ideal. Addiction, poverty, homelessness, racism, The tragedies at Club Q and Uvalde, these are far from God's ideal. The divine ideal hasn't been realized, which is why John says the Logos is not just a noun. It's a verb. The divine ideal is also God's calling toward the ideal all at once. The ideal is not just what we could be. It's the calling to become it. It's the Word with a capital W, but it's also the utterance of the Word. It's the divine summons to all living things, including you and me. And what does that divine summons say? It says this. It says, you could be this. You could be this. This ideal for which you have come into being. You could be it. And by God's call, we are still becoming. We're perfect, imperfect reflections of the ideal. We are still moving. We're stumbling sometimes. We're stretching toward God's intention. But John's message is so hopeful because what he says is, we now have a perfect model. And he points to Jesus and he says, the logos, the divine ideal, became enfleshed and dwelled most fully among us in Him. And we've seen His glory. John is saying, Jesus is the perfect model. He's the unblemished reflection. He's the ultimate incarnation of that ideal. And Jesus, the divine summons that says you could be this, actually became that, the ideal human. Full of grace and truth. And John says. To those who believed in him. He gave power. To become children of God themselves. And what John is saying is. The one who has become full of grace and truth. Lives among us and says to every one of us. You could become this. And this is the reason I'm a Christian. It is this constant hope that the incarnation will, over time, happen fully in me, that I will someday become myself full of grace and truth, that I will become the divine ideal for which I came into being and to which God is calling me. This is the radical claim and call of the Christian faith. It is to imitate Jesus Not just because Jesus was a great guy, but because we can take in that same becoming in ourselves. And the summons to become Christ like is everywhere in the New Testament. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Paul says, Be imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us. Paul says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And 1 John says, Beloved, what we will be has not yet been revealed, but we do know this, he says, we will be like him, Christ like, being perfected toward the ideal. There are a lot of good reasons why people struggle to be a Christian, but the incarnation is our hope for the world, and it's our hope for ourselves. It says God is not finished with us, not finished with the world. We are still becoming the good thing that God intended us to be. Can you hear God's summons on your life? Can you hear God saying, you still could become this? The greatest source of human despair and unhappiness is the failure to remember that God isn't finished. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think what we could have been and we feel sadness about what we have failed to become. Or we look at the world and we know that it is not as God has intended it to be and the despair that we feel is this deep soulful grief that something isn't as it should be. It's not as it could be, but the incarnation is our great hope for changing ourselves and for changing the world. In my first year of seminary, I boarded a bus with a bunch of other first-year seminarians, and we took the half-hour bus drive into downtown Los Angeles. It was an urban mission immersion experience. I was 23 years old. I had been to, having grown up in Southern California, I had been to LA a million times, but not this part of LA. And our first stop was to a garment district, uh, to a building there where these migrant women sat behind, sat behind uh, sewing machines for 12 hours a day. They spoke no English, they had no possessions, they had no legal protections, they had no green cards. And it wasn't uncommon for those women to work for two straight weeks only to be turned over to INS for deportation the day before payday. And we learned at the time, this was how the garment industry kept its costs down. We met a handful of Christians though who were caring for these women and advocating for justice for them. And from there, we just walked one block over to this unmarked building that sheltered dozens of young teens who had escaped the, or been rescued from the awful web of human sex trafficking. This was the early 1990s. Most of these young teenagers were HIV positive. And I had never known before in my life there was such a thing as human trafficking. But there at the shelter were all these wonderful Christians caring for these kids. It was beautiful. We ended our day at the Union Rescue Mission at the heart of Skid Row, the epicenter of America's brokenness and misery. Thousands of people lined the streets, a sea of castaways and tents, cardboard boxes, shopping carts, mothers nursing their children, Vietnam veterans. In wheelchairs and there we met all these wonderful Christians who fed and clothed and cared for these people and the timing of that the timing of that uh, field trip was providential for me at the time I'd gone through one semester of seminary and I nearly lost my faith literally I, I, I encountered questions and doubts that I, I couldn't reconcile and I, I didn't know if I believed anymore which happens to a lot of people today. But when you happen to be studying to become a pastor, it's super, super inconvenient. <laughs> but on that field trip, something began to change in me. I, I saw all these Christians caring for people and loving people and healing people. It was the hopeful power of the Incarnation, God's ideal right there in real time being worked out, that blueprint being played out in the most God-forsaken place in the world. And I knew I wanted that for myself. All those Christians, what they were doing was showing up and every day they were saying to these people, God isn't finished. You could become this. Our takeaways for today, God has... Good intentions for you. You, all of us, we are still becoming. And by grace, we are being perfected toward God's ideal in Christ. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision
1: to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit gosaintandrew.com.
0: See you next week.